So we're in the second sermon in uh, a series that we're calling Jesus Rules because he has all authority, all power, and it's great to know that with that in mind, he has all love as well. And I'm calling this new versus old because when Jesus came, things changed, right? There was a religious system in place. But now we were coming to a place where Jesus was showing us who God is and walking among us. So with that in mind, let's look at the first point I have for you today. Today We're we're reading out of Mark 2 here in just a moment. You might turn there in your Bible. But here's the first thought. We are not called to religion. We are called to a relationship with Jesus. Now, I know that most of you would have been able to say that. But I think we need to remind ourselves continually about this. Because if we're not careful, we get into our traditions and our rules and we forget that that's not really where we start. We start with the relationship with Jesus, which changes everything because then there's love and friendship, not just structure and rules. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. That will eventually happen. To a parent who's all about rules and not relationship, rebellion will happen sooner than later. And when we look at God that way, where it's about rules and staying in bounds and doing the right thing, and that's the primary focus we have, we're out of whack. Because it starts with a loving relationship. Mark 2, verse 18. Once, when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and asked, why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? And Jesus replied, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them. And I'll explain that culturally here in a few minutes. But these are very religious people, and interestingly enough, they don't know Jesus. They're talking about the Pharisees, and evidently they're somewhat like them. They, they like them, and Here's the deal with the Pharisees. They, they started with a heart to focus on God the Father, but they started to make up their own rules. They just added a lot of stuff. You know, the Bible warns us about adding to or taking away from this book. And most Christians are focused on taking away. But I want to tell you that Jesus is really concerned about you adding to as well. Your conviction and your standard aren't always righteousness. I'm just telling you because I've been down the road a bit. And I've seen a lot of people with, like you, you say, well, I don't think anyone should ever play poker. And I'm not advocating poker. But you know what? If people don't play for money, uh, and, and you know, it may, it, I, don't, I don't see it as a sin. Um, but, but if you had a problem with gambling at one point, I think you ought to stay away from poker. You, you see what I'm saying? Your rules and, and your standards and convictions might be good, but they're not always about righteousness that you can spread a blanket over everybody with. And these guys started to make uh, up their own rules. Uh, one of the problems they had in the biblical law was, uh, it wasn't a problem in the law, but in the law it only required that you fast once a year. Well, the Pharisees were fasting here because they'd made up a lot of other fasts that they were requiring people to do if they were going to show that they were really religious people. And so uh, the, very, the very thing that's good, fasting, there's nothing wrong with the discipline of fasting. Jesus isn't saying doing away with it, do away with it. But you can even take a religious thing that's good and make someone else feel like they're not as good as you are. And now we, got, we, we have the wrong spirit. We, we have pride instead of humility. 
And we have a focus. If you're fasting for people to see you, I mean, these guys would put white on their faces and tear their clothes. And the Bible says to fast in secret. And they were doing it so they could be seen of men. And Jesus knew their spirit wasn't right. They were religious, but they did not know Jesus Christ. It seems like they were a little irritated that Jesus and his disciples, now I'm extrapolating a little bit here, so I'm taking a little freedom, but, <clears throat> but it appears that they see Jesus all happy with these disciples, sitting around a table and, and they're thinking, hey, come on, why won't you be spiritual and fast like, like the rest of us? <clears throat> and Jesus says, you don't get it. They put that that white on their faces and the mask of death and shred those robes and now fasting loses its meaning and mark this down. When you get religious, joy will leave your life. When you get into tradition and, and more, than, more than anything else and you start getting in and then, you know, there are Christians, we have our things we like, but then it, when it really starts to get out of whack, it becomes legalism. And man, is it ugly to be around legalism. Those who, who focus on rules as the primary thing, and then they start to add to it. Well, when that starts happening, we, we have trouble. But even Christians, uh, can, let, let's say they're, they're not legalists, but they can, they can just get into their thing more than anything else and make everybody feel bad. And pretty soon we have um, stuffy, old, grumpy Christians that nobody really wants to be around that are making up their own rules or adding to a little bit more and relationship isn't very good. I like what Max Lucado said about legalism. He says, legalism has no pity on people. Legalism makes my opinion your burden. Makes my opinion your boundary. Makes my opinion your obligation. That wouldn't be right, would it? An emphasis of rules over relationship will destroy the work of God in people's lives. At one point, Jesus said to the Pharisees who were busy adding their extra rules, pretty strong in Matthew 15, 7, you hypocrites. You don't think of Jesus talking that way, do you? But he did. To, to You know the ones he got on the most, not the unbelieving sinners, but it was the self-righteous believers. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship in vain, but their teachings are but rules taught by men. And what he's saying is you're adding stuff, guys. You're making a big deal about the stuff that you add, and you're minimizing this relationship with the Father. And I, I came to bring you something new. And it's to know that God is your friend and wants to walk with you. Yes, Jesus was the King of Kings and the Messiah, but he was also a friend. So let me see if I can illustrate this. If my bride-to-be, which you know my, my bride, her name is Karen. But before we got married, if I said to her, okay, when we get married, I want you to know that from this point on, there'll be no more fun. It's going to be all about work, young lady, and you're going to have to prove yourself over and over again. It's going to be about us showing others how clean and good we are. So I'll expect you to keep the house spotless, the yard immaculate, and by the way, I want all the meals not only to look great, but to taste great. And I want you to dress perfectly, young woman, and I want you to speak perfectly, and if you don't, I'm not going to be happy with you. How do you think it would have gone for me 
if I said that to Karen before we got into this serious relationship, all I can say is she would not be sitting right there today, if that's the way, and Aaron and Candace, would, would, nobody would have ever known them, because they wouldn't have existed either. And yet, that's what believers do with God. It's, we make it about rules, and we think God is sin. It's all about appearance and image. What did Jesus say over and over again? That it was the heart that mattered, not the outward appearance, but the inward appearance. Today, Karen and I are married because we're in, a, we're in a loving relationship. We're going through life together. I enjoy her. Most of the time, I think she enjoys me. John 15, 15. Here's what Jesus said. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Listen to this. This is Jesus talking to you. I want you to think about Jesus saying this to you. Now you are my friends. That is so cool. Now I know, um, at least I've experienced that that's hard to really fathom and figure out. I'm, Jesus is my friend. Jesus wants to be my friend. Some of us need to um, remind ourselves, and I, I, I mean this respectfully, but we need to remind ourselves that we, we've been raised in homes where the focus was more about rules, you know, a Christian home, than it was about relationship with Jesus. And, and we don't have to hammer anybody because nobody ever gets it right, but we need, to, we need to bring ourselves to a place if we've had wrong um, teaching, uh, something that wasn't quite right uh, lived out before us, we, we just need to say, okay, that wasn't quite right. I need to fix this. Jesus wants to be my friend. It's not about rules. It's about relationship. I'm not sure I said that well, but you know what I mean, right? Relationship with the living, moving, breathing God. All power in his hands, and he's focused on you as his friend. Second thought, when Jesus says to these guys that he's the groom, he's making quite an announcement. Jesus is the only way to eternal life and true joy. Now I talked about religion stealing joy, now let me talk about Jesus bringing joy. Mark 2.20, but someday the groom will be taken away from them. This is Jesus still answering these people who were religious but didn't have a relationship with him, someday the groom will be taken away from him, then they will fast. So these, these people speak of John's disciples. Now, now, now um, we're, we're not sure, but, but they're fasting, and we know just before this in the timeline that John the Baptist was thrown in prison. John the Baptist's disciples may have been fasting because, because John was in prison, where he would eventually be killed. And uh, it wasn't bad what they were doing. These guys were using them as an example. They didn't come. Um, but they were probably around, close by. Some of them may even have heard this, right? Hey, the, you know, your disciples aren't, and these guys are. So they must have been close by, right? And when John, uh, just before he went to prison, there's a story that I want to read you in John, in John 3. Where Do you remember the time where they came to... Um, 
to John all upset and said, hey, this guy that you've, uh, you've said is a special, a special man over here named Jesus, people are flocking to him and not to us anymore, not to you. And uh, we don't want all the attention to go that way. Do you remember all that? And John rebuked them. He didn't buy in with a jealous spirit. And uh, when he rebuked them, he reminded them that, that this was the Christ. John 3, 29, here's part of his answer. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride. Now, I'm telling you, that, 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 that Jesus, when he goes to bride and bridegroom with John's disciples close by, is probably referring to the same analogy that John used to wake people up and get them to listen. So John had used the same analogy, bride and bridegroom, and, and now his disciples, who are probably nearby, are hearing it as well. It is, but here's what John said. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I'm filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. And isn't that true of every believer? Verse 31, he has come from above and is far greater than anyone else. We are of the earth and we speak of earthly things, but he comes from heaven and is greater than anyone else. So Jesus, when he starts talking about the bride and the bridegroom, is going back to the very analogy that John the Baptist had used with his disciples earlier. And this is an incredible revelation to the Pharisees who are nearby as well. Because when he says the bride and the bridegroom, and I'm the bridegroom, what he's saying is I am the Messiah. I'm the one who's come for the church. I've come back to claim my bride. And here's the sad thing about these religious people. They did not recognize Jesus as the Messiah. John 14, 6, we see what Jesus said of himself he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Now, I, I just want to remind you that the Bible is the word of God that is inspired, written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through the hearts of men who are eyewitnesses, these, these words we're reading now, and who walk with Jesus. And Jesus said, I'll send the Holy Spirit to teach you. And they wrote these things down for us. This is the word of God. You live in a generation where people say there are many roads that lead to God. But I want you to look at what the scriptures say. You cannot buy into that stuff. The scriptures say, I mean, you can't say, you've heard this before, but you can't say Jesus was a good man and a good teacher because he was either Lord, liar, or lunatic, right? He's either who he said he is, and he said he was the Messiah, the one to come to take away the sins of the world sent by the Father. He's either that or he's a liar. Or he's a crazy man who thinks he's God when he's not. Jesus said, no one can come to the Father except through me. That's the Bible. Inspired by God, his words. Acts 4.12, still speaking of Jesus, it says, there's salvation in no one else. You say, pastor, you just won't let go of that. There are some people that it just irritates them when I say, I can't let go of that. That's what it's all about. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. There is no other way. You come through the, the door, which is Jesus Christ, or you don't get to live in heaven for eternity. You say, why is that? Because he's the only plan of the Father. You can't make up your own plan. We had all sinned. He became the ransom for our sins. He was the spotless lamb. The wrath of God against sin, which hurts and destroys and, and wounds uh, us, it fell on 
Jesus so it wouldn't have to fall on us for all of our sin. And by his stripes, the, the, the sacrifice, the wounds that were inflicted upon him as he went to the cross, by his stripes we are healed. He's the one. He's the only plan. There wasn't another way. You know, we think of the Twin Towers and 911. And there's a story that haunts me that's in there that people were going to staircases uh, and locations to try to get down and they couldn't, they, couldn't get, they couldn't get away. The staircases were destroyed. The elevators were not operable. But there was one staircase that was actually open and most people didn't know it. And if they'd have gotten to that staircase, they could have gotten all the way down and out. And I'll tell you why I think that is um, uh, something that we should consider as I talk about this, how it applies here. Sometimes there really is only one way out. Right? I mean, logically, practically, there was one staircase that worked. One! Or you were in trouble. Why is it that we can't understand that a loving God opens a door, the door's not too small for everyone to go through. Everyone can escape. He wants everyone to escape. He's not willing that any should perish, but he wants all to be saved. It's not like they can't come through, there's not enough room, but it is true that though he's there and everyone can come, he is the only way. But he's not only our salvation. He's our joy. And I'm here to tell you that you can't experience true joy in this life without Jesus. You can experience happiness, but you know what the root word for happiness is? Happens. Something good has to happen for you to be happy. The thing I really love about joy that God brings is it's not dependent upon circumstances. We can have joy even when things are hard. Look at our loving Savior Jesus. In Hebrews it said, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross despising the shame. He had joy even because something good was gonna happen in the worst, most um, torturous time of his life when he was heading to the cross and that joy was knowing that you and I could come to him. After a Jewish wedding feast, he refers to himself as the bridegroom here. This is significant, so listen up. After a Jewish wedding, the bride and the bridegroom don't make a fast exit for a honeymoon like we do, right? You got the service, you eat the food, you smile for three hours till your smiler's tired, and then you go to your honeymoon, right? That sounds like great joy to me. But, it, but they did it. They did it differently in this day. They stuck around for a whole week after the wedding ceremony and celebrated with their friends. That was part of the culture. So when Jesus says, do, do you fast when the bridegroom is with you? What he's saying is, hey, we're here celebrating. I'm here right now. And he's speaking to them in cultural terms that they know. And they get. And they understand it a lot more than we do when we read that passage because it applied to their culture exactly. As a matter of fact, because of weddings and all these extra religious traditions and extra fast that the Pharisees had put on, if you were involved in a wedding, then you didn't have to fast because you were there to celebrate with the bride and the groom, right? So now that they really get it now, hey, the bridegroom is here. They don't, they don't need to fast until the bridegroom goes and the celebration is over. 
John 17, 13 says, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that you may have the full measure of my joy. So that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Jesus brings joy. I love an illustration about a guy who was a preacher. As a matter of fact, he was a district superintendent for the Assemblies of God. And he was a great preacher. I'd heard him preach several times. I, I, I heard him tell this story. He was having a rough time dealing with some things that weren't easy to deal with, and I don't know exactly what it was, but he was sitting at Dunkin' Donuts with a long face. And someone said to him, sitting beside him, how you doing today? You don't, you don't look very good. And he said, I'm not too happy. I have some problems that I'm dealing with. And the guy said, well, you know you can be happy. And he said, I'm not sure I want to be happy. Then there was a pause, and the man said, have you ever considered inviting Jesus Christ into your life? Well, the guy's a preacher. He's a preacher to preachers. And the reason I love that story is it reminds us that he is resident. He is in there. We don't have to despair, and we forget sometimes. Acts 2.46, the believers met together in the temple every day. They ate together in their homes, happy to share their food with joyful hearts. They praised God and were liked by all the people every day. The Lord added those who are being saved to the group of believers. Now, I want to see if I can make a tie together here. People get into their religions, or, or I'm sorry, their traditions, and, and, and you know, they're Traditions can be okay. They're not necessarily evil, but think of them as methods. The way we, you know, there's a lot of methods that you can use and, and they're okay, but they're not necessarily right. Let me, let me give you an example. Um, one of the methods that we use here that I like and the Lord uses is we'll, we'll, call, we'll, we'll do a salvation call at the end of the service, right? And I know some of you like that. I've heard you say it. And, and I'll bring people forward. And I, and I like it because the Spirit of God will move. And you probably like it too or you wouldn't be here at this church, right? Because it's part of what we do. But let me tell you something. Nowhere in the Bible will you see it that you should lift your hand for salvation or that you should call people forward in a service for an altar call. Now, I, I might have just freaked you out. But, but it's not that that's wrong, right? God uses it. But what I'm saying is, if I start to think that's a big deal and the way we do it is better than the way everybody else does it, if I go to a church where I can sense the presence of Jesus and people are getting saved on a regular basis and they don't do that, am I going to say that they're doing wrong? What, I, what I'm saying is we can get so stuck in our stuff and a good thing but not realize that God can do things a thousand ways within the boundaries that we can become focused and make it a tradition and make it more spiritual than it actually is. Here's the principle to meet together, the New Testament principle, to meet together on a regular basis like we're doing today. That's, that's a principle, not a method. Here's a principle to get in a small group. That's in the Bible. They met house to house and they were connected with one another and loved one another. You gotta have that or it won't go that well. And, and so we, we confuse methods and principles. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. But what happens is when we get into our traditions, when we make method a bigger deal, we can eventually become religious and start to add to, but, but, but joy starts to leave the church. And joy starts to leave the heart of believers when they 
start to think it's all about that outward stuff. Everybody know it's about the thing I like the most. The king of a particular country, country traveled often, but one day a man near the palace remarked to a friend. This was many, many years ago, obviously. He said, well, it looks like the king is home tonight. How do you know, asked the other, and the man pointed upward toward the royal, royal house, said, because when the king is home, the castle is all lit up. And I'm saying that we can get such sour faces and come religious that the castle even isn't, it isn't even lit up anymore. The joy of the Lord is not resident, inherent, obvious. So we see church services looking more like funeral services. One man said it this way, joy is the surest sign of the presence of God. That castle being lit up. It's not only a good witness to others, it's good for us personally. I don't want you to lose your joy. I I want you to, to know that relationship with him brings eternal life, but relationship with him is joy that is not dependent upon circumstances. I believe you have to fight for your joy. I, I have to remind myself often that there are lots of good things that the Lord is doing. Proverbs 17, says, a cheerful disposition is good for your health. Gloom and doom leave you bone tired. That's the message, a paraphrase of that verse, but I like it. Man, it's not only not good for others if we don't have joy, it's not good for us. Don't carry the spirit of the Pharisee. Carry the spirit of Jesus Christ. He's the bridegroom and he's in us. He's resident and we should have joy because we have eternal life and we have him to walk through this life with us. Third thought today, and I've kind of got ahead of myself, but don't love the method more than the mission. Mark 2, 21, besides... Jesus is still giving his answer now to to why don't you fast, you know, to these religious people. He says, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine and the skins would be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. Now, here's what Jesus is saying. You're all about the old, but I've come with a new covenant. That's why I've called this sermon, the old versus the new. You're all about religion, but I'm about relationship. I want to have a relationship with you. God the Father has sent me to show you who he is. And I want to walk with you. I want to know you. So when he talks about, you know, these things here, they may not make much sense to to us at first glance, but let me try to explain it. Uh, It... What, he, what he's saying is if you, if you take an old piece of clothing and then a new piece of clothing, the old piece of clothing has a hole in it, and you take the new cloth that hasn't been shrunk, you buy pre-shrunk jeans now, so you're not as familiar with this, but those who sew and buy materials will be very familiar with this. If, if you have new cloth that you cut a patch out and you put it on old cloth, what happens when that cloth shrinks, it will tear the old cloth. You put the new patch in, it hasn't been shrunk, But you put it on old and then you wash it and then it shrinks and it'll tear the old cloth. And he's saying, no, you you can't mix the old with the new because it's about the new now. 
And he's talking to new and him was, it wasn't method, it was mission. It was Jesus Christ had come. And now a relationship with his God, God was available. And it was the same with the unfermented wine. Uh, in, the, in those days, they would put new wine and new wineskins and, and, and those new wineskins would stretch as the gas would expand uh, when, when the wine was fermenting. Uh, they, would, they would get bigger and stretch and eventually the leather would harden. And the old skins, um, uh, you couldn't put new wine in them because they'd already been stretched and they'd already hardened. So if you put new wine in there and it expands with the gases for fermentation, then it would rip it, uh, burst it, and everything would be lost. And they were, they were hinting around that, hey, okay, we'll recognize that you've got some followers like John and you're kind of spiritual like us and you have teachings and we have teachings. Uh, but let's kind of mesh this thing together here. You may not know the term, but mixing religions together is called syncretism, and it's taking a little bit of everything. You know, when you see the, the coexist bumper sticker, I don't really like that. You know, I like the thought that we should be able to, um, you, you know, to, to be civil and get along, and, and I like that, but to me, it carries the spirit of mixing everything together. And here's what Jesus is saying. You can't mix it all together, because it's just about what the Father has sent me to do and I'm the only way that the Father has chosen and this is the new covenant coming into existence. We have to love the mission. The mission is knowing Jesus and making him known. That's, that's, that's the way. That is the mission. And Jesus is saying to the old religious pious people, if you try to mix what you have with who I am, you are only going to ruin things. All will be lost. He didn't come to patch up the old, but to bring in the new. If we focus on our relationship with Jesus, we won't get stuck on religious traditions and methods. Now, let, let me, and I'm extrapolating here a little bit too, but I, I do believe there's a, there's a truth for us to understand, and you've been hearing me share traces of it here. But he's the main thing. And people get so stuck, even Christian people who love Jesus, on their methods, that their methods are the way that they, 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 they lose focus of the mission. I like this statement. When it, when it comes to the work of God, the methods are many, the principles are few. The methods can change, but the principles never do. God has boundaries, it's, it's sure and it's true. And God has rules, not saying that he doesn't show us what, what, what those boundaries are, their safety. But, it, but flowing from relationship, you wanna stay in bounds because you know he loves you and doesn't want you to get hurt, right? So relationship flows to, okay, I understand what you're saying, you're trying to help me and bless me, I wanna follow. That's, what, that's why you start with relationship. Um, but, but what happens is, when we take our traditions and our method that we like the most, there's a thousand methods that work within those boundaries when it comes to things God does. Uh, I like, uh, there's, a, there's a term that's used in one of the translations in Ephesians calls it the manifold wisdom of God. And the word manifold in the Greek speaks of like a prism. So if you had a diamond and light shines through it and then you see kind of rainbow colors hit the wall, that's a prism. And, and the idea is that, is that if you did have a, a jewel and light shone through it, you'd see 
angles and colors a thousand different ways that were just gorgeous and beautiful. And the manifold wisdom of God has thousands of ways that he can do things that are within the boundaries. So, can he use a certain method? Yes, he can. Does that mean that that method's better than all the others? No, it means that that might be a good method for today, a good method for where you are, whatever culture you're in, but, but he can do things. But we don't get confused about methods and principles. Here's the principles. Jesus is the way. Prayer. Reaching out to this world, evangelism. Those principles, we never want to lose sight of those. Even holiness is one of of the principles, that he would be holy even as I, I am holy. But to take our method and make it a principle, for instance, let me, let me just uh, talk about a couple things. Um, when I grew up, uh, everybody wore their nicest clothes to church, suits and, and ties, right? And there was a season when we were, uh, when, when I was going into ministry where it was still happening. That's how old I am. Um, and and I, I remember thinking, you know, I think I would like to, to, to relax it a little bit if I'm ever a pastor. People weren't dressing like this when, when I, before, I, not much at all, when they were up front as pastors. And um, as I read the Bible, I couldn't find where it said, you know, I, you know, wear a suit and a tie. I could find the tie that binds, but, and I wanted to use that scripture, but, but it was, uh, it was a, not the right interpretation. But um, there were people who'd say, well, when I go to the house of God, I want to look my best because I'm coming before the King of Kings. And my thought is, so you're, you're not with the King of Kings when you go out the door? When you're taking a shower, you know? I mean, he, he's still the king. And I, I don't want to fight with them, and I, I can respect that there are churches right now. As, I mean, I know of a great one where the preachers wear ties, and it's not that it's bad, it's fine. But it's just that this... God's not mad. As a matter of fact, to me, I kind of have purpose in being dressing more normal, if you can call this that. But um, I'm just a normal guy. I'm just a flesh and blood man. I am not anything special. I'm trying to reflect Jesus, and you're just a normal person. I'm one normal person coming to another normal person. Yes, I'm trying to live right. Yes, I want to be a blessing. Yes, I'm studying the Word of God. But what we're trying to do is focus on him, right? So I don't, I don't want to become a deal or impress in certain ways. And the sad thing I remember about those days is people wore suits who had money, but people who didn't couldn't. And I don't want to knock it. I'm not, I'm not even going to say this is better than that. I'm not, that's, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is they're both in bounds, and people were making a really big deal about that to the point where it was hurting relationship. And older fellows wouldn't talk to younger preachers because they were upset at them. Remember Sunday night services? I remember when people were saying, you've got to have Sunday night services. We can't let go of, you know, the Spirit of God in teaching and Bible and, well, So, I mean, let's go back to the Bible. Does the Bible say meet on Sunday nights? It doesn't. It says meet on a regular basis, the first day of the week. And it talks about small groups, talks about other things. Sunday night services can be great, right? I mean, we have have, uh, our Elevate Worship services uh, 
every now and then, and it's awesome when we meet on Sunday night. The Lord is there, but here's the deal. You can take a spiritual thing, good things can happen on Sunday night, right? And you can get the wrong spirit like these guys did. They were talking about fasting, nothing wrong with fasting. But they, they, they were super spiritual. And I, I want to tell you something about super spiritual people. Uh, not everything I say is led of the spirit. This might not be, but, but, uh, but they irritate me. Super spiritual people really irritate me. Um, because to me, they're showing the wrong spirit. They're showing pride. And they do it in a passive-aggressive way, something like this. Well, I know he means well, but he doesn't really know that da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Well, I believe that she has a good heart, but she just doesn't understand like we do da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Could have faked that, but I. It's not the right spirit. What's that make um, a newer believer feel like if they if they don't even know the principle? Um, one of the things that makes me chuckle is every now and then someone will come in here and they'll say something like to me, they don't know Jesus. It's obvious, and they'll say and I, I won't say it because it would offend some of you super spiritual people, but they say that, they'll use the word H-E double toothpicks, and they'll say, that was a blank of a speech there today. Good job. And I, I kind of like it. You know why? I, it's not that I want them to, you know, talk like that. I like it that they're here. They don't even know how it works, right? And so I want to put an arm around them, and, and first of all, you know, I, it wasn't a speech, Right? And, and they say, man, you are really good at this. You touched me deep. And they don't know that I'm not. It's the Holy Spirit, right? They don't even get all that. Um, but what I want to do is just make them feel comfortable because I know the Lord's starting to touch them. And super spiritual people make you feel uncomfortable. And our services, when we start to bow to all this, you know, enshrining the method, Forgive me, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be offensive in several places today. I've done it a couple times already, but this is why in many of the churches in America, method over mission, when you, when you honor method and you keep it entrenched and we've always done it and we like it, this is why there are more diapers in the sanctuary than in the nursery in, in many churches in America. Because we're gonna do what we like, our four no more, Everybody else doesn't do it as good as we do it. And our church services get boring and they, we're not relevant to the culture anymore. Now listen, I'm for the principles, but I'm telling you, if I was a missionary and I moved to Cambodia like Ken Huff and I did it the way I'm doing it here with the same methods, I'm gonna tell you I'd be a miserable failure. I don't even talk to junior high students the way I talk to you because they don't listen as well. I have to get way more animated and even more stupid than I am now just to keep their attention. The main thing is I want the principles to be shared, picked up, and people to grow in Jesus Christ. What does it take to get that done? There's a bunch of methods and so let's figure out what it is. And I'm gonna tell you something, church. You listen to this. We've always been a changing culture here. 
We have never just done the thing we've always done. And I've paid the price for that along the way. But I want people to hear a relevant message and see a relevant people who love Jesus and love them. And we'll keep changing as necessary as we go forward. Because it's not about your method. It's not about my method. It's about the mission. And the mission is the love of God getting into the hearts of people. First Chronicles 12.32, men of Issachar said this about them. They understood the times and they knew what Israel should do. I like that. Understood the times. Things need to change as culture change. The principles don't need to change, right? You heard me say Jesus is the only way. I am for the principles, but the methods can and should change. I like Acts 13.36. David served God's purpose in his own generation. I talked about making services boring. You know, when I, um, I, I have a friend who um, was a PK like I was, preacher's kid. And um, the services that he grew up in were, were quite boring. And uh, one, one day he had a, uh, there was an old preacher, or I'm sorry, an old believer in the church named Charlie, and Charlie had fallen asleep, which he did regularly in services. And my friend, who was a junior higher at the time, he's my age but now, but a junior higher, uh, tapped Charlie in the shoulder and said, hey, Charlie, a pastor just asked you to stand up and pray in the middle of the preacher's sermon. <laughs> and so Charlie thought he had missed it, stood up, and while the preacher's preaching, said, Dear Heavenly Father, I said, you are kidding me. His name was Brock. I said, Brock, you're kidding me. That didn't happen. He said, it did happen. I said, what'd your dad do? Because he was up there preaching. He said, he just looked at him, bowed his head, and waited till he's done. <laughs> now, I'm just saying that to say, I'd rather that you didn't have to poke people while we're in service and wake them up, you know? Heard of another preacher who pointed at someone said, hey, they're asleep, wake them up. And someone said back to him, you put them to sleep, you wake them up. <laughs> I don't want you to go to sleep because this is a real, living, moving, breathing Jesus that's among us. And I want to serve God's purpose in my generation, not that previous generation. Churches die, then they close their doors when they don't change. Not the principles, but the methods. A healthy church will change with the times. Not the principles, but the methods. Don't get entrenched in methods. It's okay to like your method. That's cool, right? I mean, that's, that's fair. We all, we, we all like what we like. But don't love the method more than the mission. Don't get super spiritual about it. Our purpose statement is to encourage people to follow Jesus with their whole heart. That's, that's the mission. It's a purpose statement of Horizon Community Church to encourage people to follow Jesus with their whole heart. That's the mission. Pastor Rogers' mother, Afatia, passed away um, this week. Roger got the call. I don't know, know if you remember, but uh, a couple years ago, she was in service and I had her stand, Roger's mother. She's a very godly woman. And um, 
his dad's gone and now his mother's gone. He gave me permission to share this story today. But when he received the call and his sister said, mom passed away and took her last breath at 8.30 this morning. Roger um, went into the living room to tell the family and, and they prayed together, if I have the story right. And when that was happening, Roger said he just had this vision of a silhouette of a man and he recognized it as his dad who'd gone on before, was reaching to take his mother's hand. And here's what he heard. He said, dad said, welcome home, sweetheart. I want to introduce you to someone who's been looking forward to seeing you face to face. Dad and mom, Lavasa, were focused on the mission. Loving Jesus. Leading people to Jesus. I want us to know the main thing is the mission. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, the one mediator who paid the price for our sins, that is our mission, to share the love of God that people might know Jesus.